Amen. You're quiet on that. Come on. South Haven, South Haven. <laughs> we had a, the truth is we had such a great time last year playing those Maccabean games. So I trust that uh, you'll come and be prepared to, to schwitz a little. So let's pray and bow our hearts before the Lord and ask him to speak to us. Isn't that what it's about? To love God, allow him to speak to our hearts, change our lives, that we would be more like him. Avinu Malkinu. We bless you, Lord God, with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And Abba, we ask you, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Abba, that your powerful word would, Lord, change our lives and affect us in a way in which, Lord, we would live a life that is consistent with who you are, a life that is fruitful, a life that is blessed, a life that is filled with joy and peace. So, Abba, we say, Lord, speak to us and change us by the power of your Ruach. B'Shem Yeshua and God's people said, Amen. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the seven descriptions that Yeshua gives about himself in the Besorah of Yochanan, the Gospel of Yochanan. Often, we have our own ideas of who Yeshua is based on either our own personal experiences or from what others have to say about him. Although these perceptions can sometimes be accurate, they are often skewed by wrong conclusions and faulty theology. So instead of guessing, we will go to the source, Yeshua himself. They say if you want to find the truth, you go to the source. That is what we will do over the next seven weeks. I believe that if we are open and truly put our trust in what Yeshua says about himself, we will begin to more fully understand who he is, his heart for us, and how we can better relate to him in order to live our lives to their full potential. You know, there's a lot of uh, turmoil in the world today, isn't there? We saw it on our screen all last week, on our TVs, by the senseless killing of people. Um, We saw it again on Friday, Thursday and Friday. Um, Horrible happenings. And what is the solution to all this mishigas? It's being changed by the power of God through Yeshua. Um, He is the hope of the world. And um, we could help influence that by living our lives for him, by being changed by him ourselves to reflect his love, his power, and his glory to others and to the world around us. And there is no other answer in reality. He is the answer. And the foundation of Yeshua's I am statements found in Yochanan that we're going to look at over the next seven weeks are undeniably linked to the I am statements of God in the Tanakh. God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Hebrew is Iye Asher Iye. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. I am. All-encompassing being, past, present, and future, all-knowing, all-powerful, the only one from whom all life flows, I am. That's weighty. It's powerful. Yeshua connects himself to this statement when in Yochanan chapter 8 and verse 58, Yeshua had answered, Amen, amen, I tell you, before Avraham was, I am. And when he said that I am, there is no doubt, without a question, every Jewish hearer that heard that knew exactly what he was saying. He was equating himself and connecting himself with God Almighty. And that same all-powerful, all-knowing, dominant presence of the one true God, Yeshua said before Abraham was, I am. And I'm standing among you. So here we have Yeshua walking in the authority of God as the Messiah, God in the flesh. What he speaks to us throughout the book of Yochanan as the great I am are important truths that we as people need to know and will benefit from if we heed his words. This morning we will look at the first I am statement when he says, I am the bread of life. At the very center of life during the times of Yeshua and earlier stood the stalks of grain that carried man from day to day. Without bread, there was no life. It is no accident that the most famous prayer in the Western world begins with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread or life one day at a time. Give it to us, Lord, we need it. When we see the word bread in our scriptures, we must also bear in mind that the word was used to speak of food in general. Not just baked wheat or barley. We hear even in America, man, I earned my bread today. A figure of speech meaning one worked hard for their earnings or livelihood in that given day or week. For 40 years, God through Moshe fed Israel in the wilderness with a food which they named manna. Meaning in Hebrew, what is it? Some scholars believe it was a material similar to what can still be found in northern Mesopotamia today called harula. It falls on certain trees in the early morning tastes like honey, and disappears when the sun gets hot. Recently, it has been discovered this substance is formed from cuts made into the plants by ants. Considering the fact that the material did not fall on the Sabbath day, it seems quite evident we are dealing with supernatural provision here in the Torah. It is a marvel that God, what he does in the earth, and how he supplies for his people, A man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So today we're going to talk about Yeshua, the bread of life. So my first point that I want to make to you or statement I'd like to declare is you are what you eat. In every way. Physically, in the natural. See, so listen, if you ever wonder, how does the rabbi do on his diet? The very fact that I don't look like a donut <laughs> tells you that I'm doing good because if I had my druthers, I would eat donuts 24-7, okay? And I would look like a donut with a hole right in the middle because I love donuts. So, yes, you could tell that I refrain from eating donuts. <laughs> but the truth is you are what you eat. And in Yochanan chapter 6, verse 35, Yeshua said this. It says, Then Yeshua declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never, say never, never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow, that's, that's quite a statement. I mean, if you think about what he's saying, he who comes to me will never, ever be hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I find that many people within the kingdom of God are spiritually hungry. This is evidenced by people filling their lives with every type of pursuit, relationship, and activity under the sun, only to find themselves still wanting. It's like, you know what, when you eat that junk food, does this happen to you? It happens to me. Every once in a while, I'll have to binge on some junk food. And I could eat chips and pretzels and all this stuff you know you shouldn't eat. And still, after I eat it, you're not satisfied. And the reason you're not satisfied is because your body has not really received any nutrition. So it's still craving real nutrition. Well, you know what? When we fill our lives with pursuits and things and stuff, and we find ourselves still wanting, still hungry for something else, it means that those things have not truly satisfied our soul. This includes people who populate congregations and listen to messages on a regular or semi-regular basis, yet always find a reason why they cannot apply the truths of Scripture in their lives or lack the desire to apply them. This can come from the enticements of the world, the flesh or hasatan, that seek to keep people from the one true source of nourishment that will truly satisfy the human soul. You see, we have to get smart about it. The enemy tries to keep us from the very source that will satisfy. It's like mom and dad growing up wanted you to eat your protein and your veggies. And of course, as kids, we say, can we get to the ice cream? Can we get to the cake, Mom? Can we get to the chips in the cupboard? Can we get to the Pop-Tarts? Whatever you were thinking, you wanted everything other than that kind of anemic-looking piece of chicken breast and certainly not the green broccoli that was hanging around the plate. You wanted everything else, but your mother knew better. She knew that for you to be nourished, you needed to eat those things. We're no different as the children of God. 
Yeshua tells us he is the bread of life. Bread in the Tanakh speaks not only to physical sustenance, but also to spiritual sustenance, as evidenced by the bread of presence in the Beit Mikdash. This further connected to Yeshua as the bread of life, born, where was he born? Beit Lechem, the house of bread, the bread that came down from heaven to earth. The bread that was meant to satisfy the soul of the people of the world. Yeshua explains his mysterious saying. He said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the one who both imparts and sustains life. According to the form of the sentence in the original language, Yeshua completely identifies himself with this bread of life. Really, it means, it could be said, of the life. Referring to spiritual life. It is through faith, through intimate union with him, assimilating him spiritually. As physical bread is assimilated physically. It's taking him in to our being. It is that man that attains to the life. You know, it's kind of like you can't just hang around him. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people hung around Yeshua when he walked the earth, did they not? But not everyone connected to Yeshua. Lots of folks hang around Yeshua today. But not everyone connects to him. And I want to encourage us that we need to connect. When Yeshua continues, he who comes to me will in no way get hungry, and he who believes in me will in no way get thirsty. He is, of course, speaking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Note also that here, believing in Yeshua is defined as coming to him, coming as one who has nothing but sin to give and needs everything, turning to him as plants turn to their green parts, turn their green parts to the sun. We have really little to give to him. We need what he has to give to us. <laughs> it's funny how Sometimes after being a believer for many years, we somehow think that we have something really significant to offer to God in our giftings and abilities and talents. And although, listen, don't get me wrong, him being a gracious and loving heavenly father uses the talents that came from him anyway uh, for his glory. The truth is, no matter how talented an individual might be, we are desperately in need of him just for life itself. Spiritual life. So this begs the question, why do we as people in the kingdom of God look to other things to find what only could be found in him? Selah. Listen, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Why do we look to other things That only can be really found in him. 
Just prior to his statement in verse 35, look at what the text says. And so, so they said to him, then what sign do you perform so that we may see and believe you? What work do you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written out of heaven. He gave them bread to eat. Yeshua answered them, Amen, Amen, I tell you, it isn't Moshe who has given you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one coming down from heaven and giving life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread from now on. Still missing it, right, that he was speaking of himself. Still not quite registering. You see, Yeshua had recently fed 5,000. Incredibly, some were still asking for a miraculous sign to help them believe he was who he claimed to be. They brought up the manna their forefathers had eaten in the wilderness, right, found in Shemot 16. And that established the context for this statement. I believe Yeshua was saying the manna was meant to be a model of the Messiah, Whoever partakes of him will never again know spiritual hunger. Like the manna, everyone who seeks him will find him, but each of us has to find him for ourselves. I want to tell you, you know what? It's not just religion that makes us find God. It is an individual pursuit. And when do you know you found him? When you know you found him. Not when someone says you found him. When you know you found him. Right? I mean, it's not, it's not hard. Did you find a million dollars? No. How do you know? That's how I know. You know when you find it. No one else can receive him for us. Nor can we receive him for anyone else. We all get an amount sufficient for our own self. No one is lacking. None of him is wasted. There's a, a, a story um, from the Talmud. And it asks a different question about the manna. What does the manna, why does the manna come every day and not once a year? And it answers through a parable about a king and his son. When the king provided his son with his sustenance once a year, the son visited his father only once a year. When the father began to provide his sustenance daily, the son had to call on his father every day. So it is with Israel. If an Israelite had four or five children, he would worry, saying, perhaps the manna won't come tomorrow and my children will starve. And because the manna was coming down daily, the Israelites were compelled to direct their hearts to God. It is simply that God not only wants us, he's not driving home a point. You see, you need me. It is part of our DNA. We cannot be separated from him and have life. It's impossible. Right? Before we knew him, we were dead, spiritually dead. He reconnected us by the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua, by the Ruach HaKodesh. We are reconnected. 
But we cannot think for a second that we could disconnect now as if we had our fill and we could go on day after day and week after week and then pop in maybe a month later and plug in and all's well. We have done damage to ourselves. It is daily we need to be connected, plugged in, and tethered to him. I want to read you this little snippet from a rabbi, and he's talking about the manna. He says, some facts about the manna. It looked like a small, round, white seed. It descended at night, sandwiched between two layers of dew. It tasted like your favorite food. You know what that is for me, don't you? It produced no waste, encapsulating its eater's nutritional needs so so precisely that after the body absorbed what it needed, there was nothing left. (laughs) Shortly after the manna started coming down, we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. For the next four decades, we traveled the desert eating the manna and learning Torah. That's basically all we did. That's when we weren't getting into trouble. The Midrash sees a direct connection between our diet and our occupation, stating that the Torah could be given only to eaters of manna. So, this Midrash can easily be applied to Messiah since only in him can we truly partake of the word of truth in order to both understand it and apply it. You see, we can't do it by circumventing him. There is no other way we can learn it on our own. It has to be through him. Only through eaters of manna could tap into the Torah. Only eaters of the living bread who are connected to him can truly understand and apply scripture in their life. Any attempt to either understand the word or apply the word outside of an intimate covenant relationship with Yeshua, the Son of God, is futile and merely a religious exercise devoid of the power and presence of God. Ask yourself, one writer said, listen to this, this is what he says, close your eyes. Ask yourself, for what am I hungry? Am I really hungering after righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Do I seek to walk in the weightier elements, that is justice, truth, and mercy? Or do I play mind games with my God, those around me and myself? Am I pretending? Am I deceiving myself? Have I been deceived about God? These are important questions, which when asked with sincerity will draw the Holy Spirit to you instantly. Here is what the Ruach HaKodesh seeks, to abide and make a permanent home within us. Here is where the dove can nest and reproduce. You see, these are important questions to ask. What am I truly hungry for?
And it's, listen, there's no wrong answer. It is what it is. And, but here's what I want to say. If you can't say, I'm truly hungry for Yeshua, you know, maybe you're hungry for something else, don't deny it. God, good, 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 goodness gracious, no. He doesn't want you to deny it. Just say, God, I recognize that I'm hungry for that which does not say. God's not looking to condemn us. He's looking to help us. Because <laughs> you know what? We get duped in this world and in life thinking that, well, I know, I know that Yeshua is everything, but, you know, this thing over here looks so good. <laughs> it looks, you know, the fellow eating it, really making it look good, whatever it might be. And we kind of think, well, maybe I could have some of that and be satisfied. And we perhaps get hungry for other things that people tell us. Listen, do you know what my mother used to say? Believe nothing of what you hear and half of what you see. She used to say that all the time. Because, you know, when people say things, oh, this is the best thing, you got to try, it's awesome. Oh, you got to do this in your life and you'll be fantastic. A lot of times, they don't even believe what they're saying. It's not real in their life. But they just say it for whatever reason or motive. And they make things that don't really satisfying seem appealing to us. And listen, the rabbi, later when I go home sitting on my recliner and that Dunkin' Donuts commercial comes on and the drizzled icing, I start thinking, hey, maybe that donut's not a bad idea. I can almost taste it in my mind. Then I remember what the scale said and I said, no, let's, <laughs> let's forget the donut today. But it's tempting for us because the truth is a relationship requires work just like an earthly relationship. Energy, time. And so all these things that lure us away from that are easy and fast fixes but they don't satisfy. So what are you hungry for? Now secondly, what are you thirsty for? In Yochanan 4, listen to what it says. As for our thirst, remember how Yeshua told the woman at the well that the water he offered would cure her thirst forever, right? Pointing to Yaakov's well before which they were standing, he said, everyone who, everyone, say everyone, everyone. Don't you love that about God? Talking about a person, right, who doesn't discriminate. God certainly doesn't. That's why we need to be under his leadership, because if we live under his leadership, we won't discriminate. Because God believes in everyone, right? Equal opportunity. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, speaking about the well. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never, say never, will never thirst, ever. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in chapter 7 of Yochanan, because I'll tell you what, Yochanan is pointing us to God in Yeshua. He starts off his, his, his Besorah saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
harking every Jewish hearer back to the Aramaic Targums in which the Memra was equated with God, the Word being God and God being the Word, and them being inseparable. And so God, from the beginning of his Besorah, all the way through all the chapters, he's pointing us to Yeshua God, who is our source and our all in all. And in chapter 7, it's no different. And then on the last and greatest day of the Feast of um, Sukkot, Yeshua stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Ruach, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. In Hebrew, the term is Mayim Chaim, living water. Means running water from a stream or spring in contrast to water stored in a cistern that's stagnant. Figuratively with Yeshua, it means spiritual life. Do you know what they say? I don't know if you find this to be true. They say many people, they even say the majority, are people walk around dehydrated and don't know it. You ever one, you know, you have a splitting headache all day and your lower back's hurting and you say, oh my gosh, I feel horrible. Then you realize, gee, I haven't had, a, I haven't drinking any water, like two days, and you've been outside and it's hot, and you're doing the yard, and you start chugging down some water, and lo and behold, a few hours later, up, oh, you don't have the headache and the back's feeling good again. You were dehydrated and didn't know it. Do you know we could be thirsty for God's spiritual refreshment and not even know it? We could be hanging around him, yet not connecting to him, and be spiritually dry. And then, did you ever have this phenomenon, that you don't feel thirsty, right? You have a big glass of water, and now all of a sudden, you're crazy thirsty. It's like that water awakened the thirst that was there. And now, you realize how thirsty you really are. That is how it is with God. We can think maybe we're not thirsty or we're not in need of him so desperately until we really plug in. And then we get a taste of the living water and say, oh my goodness gracious, I need more of this. I'm depleted. You see, the rabbis associated the custom, the water libation ceremony with Isaiah 12 and 3, which says with joy. I'll tell you, where's the joy of God in your life? With joy shall you draw water from the wells of salvation. Okay? On the seventh day, the water pouring was accompanied by the Kohanim blowing gold trumpets. The Leviim singing sacred songs and ordinary people waving their lulavs and chanting the Hallel, the Tehillim, 113 through 118, which includes in its closing verse this, Adonai... You see the connection again to him. Adonai, please save us. Hoshiana. Adonai, please prosper us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We have blessed you out of the house of Adonai. God is Adonai. And he has given, given us light. The words, please save us. You know what? Unbeknownst 
before I had prepared the message, you know what I was crying out for days? God, save us. God, save us. In what way? Not in a physical way. I don't feel harmed in a physical way. But in my God, save us. We and the people in which we live among are in desperate need of God. God, please save us. God, please rescue us. God, please help us. Those very words led to the day being called Hoshana Rabbah, the great Hoshiana. This prayer had messianic overtones, as it is seen from its use when Yeshua made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem a few days before his execution. It was also a prayer for salvation from sin, for Hoshana Rabbah was understood to be the absolutely final chance to have one's sins forgiven for the year. Because it completes the high holidays. And it was the absolute last and final chance, say the rabbis. On Rosh Hashanah, one asks to be inscribed in the Book of Life, and on Yom Kippur, one hopes to have their name sealed in it, Yet in Jewish tradition, there remained opportunity for forgiveness up to Hoshana Rabbah. In addition, a connection between the possession, hear this, of the Ruach HaKodesh and ecstasy or religious joy is found in the ceremony of the drawing water. And Yeshua is saying, beckoning us to come to him for that living water. So out of you will flow joy. One of the telltale signs that we are um, well hydrated, right, as believers in God and Yeshua is our level of joy. Out of us will flow rivers of living water, of joy. And listen to me. But Rabbi, you don't know what I'm going through. It really doesn't matter what you're going through. I'll tell you why. Because this is joy independent of circumstance. That is the Mayim Chaim. It's joy that's independent of what's happening to us. What does it say about Yeshua? For the joy set before him enduring the tree of sacrifice. Simchat Beit HaShoevah, the Feast of Water Drawing. On the festival of Sukkot, the Mishnah said that he who had never seen this ceremony, which was accompanied by dancing, singing, and music, had never seen true joy. That if you have never seen people exuberant about God, listen, ask yourself the real question. Does God bring you the greatest joy in your life? to the point where you desire to sing and declare his praise and lift your voice. It goes on to say, 
Yet this was also considered a ceremony in which the participants, as it were, drew inspiration from the Ruach HaKodesh itself, which can only be possessed by those whose hearts are full of religious joy. That's from the um, Encyclopedia Judaica. It could only be possessed. by those who are connected to the Maim Chaim. Joy in the living water. Joy in the bread of life. What would you think of your life if no matter what you went through, no matter what challenge, what difficulty, there was a joy residing deep in your kishkas? How many people would sign up and stand on that line and say, God, I want to live in a joy that no matter what I go through, because hear me, I don't care if you are the best believer in the world, you have a million-dollar job, or you sweep floors and everything in between. Our life is going to be filled with ups and downs, good times and bad times, sad times and happy times. Times of awesomeness and times of despair. That is what our lives will be filled with. But we don't have to live up and down on a roller coaster. We can live in consistent joy in God. I recall the Shaliachim of Yeshua after being beaten, right? And told never to speak, I mean beaten, with 39 lashes for speaking about Yeshua. What did they do? They raised their voices in great joy. What? That they had suffered for his name. How could they have joy after being beaten like that, similar to Yeshua? How could they have joy? Because it came from God. If we could get that joy, and I hung a, a, a sign, said that joy is available here, who would stand in line for it? But the truth is, we don't really have to stand in line, do we? It is available to us. You see, the true joy that we each thirst for, and that is sadly and unnecessarily missing in the lives of people, even people who profess love and devotion to God through Messiah. It's access through the Ruach HaKodesh that Yeshua, the bread of life, has sent to us for the very purpose. There's no need for us to thirst. There's no need for us to be joyless. Just like there's no need for us to hunger. But do you know, there's a decline in people seeking after the things of God in our country and even throughout the world. People think that they're going to get enriched by a device that's this high and this wide. Do you know you could laugh at seeing silly dog tricks on your iPhone and get a chuckle? 
but you're not going to get joy. Joy is only had by those who are connected to the source of joy being God through Yeshua. But yet, sadly, the masses, I, I really fear that we're living in a, in a world gone so far awry. It's not funny. You look down a street in Manhattan and you'll see heads like this. We're almost like zombies. We, we kid around, right? They say the zombie apocalypse. And, uh, but we're kind of like that, aren't we? We walk like this. I must check in to my iPhone now because all my friends on Facebook, you know those 800 friends you have that you wouldn't know if you passed them in the street on any given day? that aren't really friends. But we buy into the silliest things. And we spend so much time. It's not that those things are wrong. But we invest so much time in things that do not satisfy. And yet we neglect the very things that do. My goal for today is to inspire you. Maybe we need to unplug a little more from our electronic devices and plug in a little more to our relationship with God. Right? Try it. The psalmist wrote, and I close with this, the psalmist wrote, you know, we say a lot of things about David, right? You know, if uh, David was running for president of the United States, you and I would be happy, right? Wouldn't we? Yeah. But you know what they would say to David? He's a bad guy. He murdered thousands and tens of thousands of people, an adulterer, stole a man's wife, and then had him killed. He's of the most, that's what they would say. But do you know what David had that God loved? A heart after him. Because it's not about good, right? It's about forgiveness. A heart of repentance, a heart that's tender toward God. And look at what this man, and you, if we ever wonder why David found favor from God, it's seen for us in Tehillim 42, when he writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. God, I'm thirsty for you. God, I'm thirsty for you. In Yeshua, our spiritual hunger is satisfied and our spiritual thirst is quenched. Once we have the Ruach HaKodesh, our search for spiritual fulfillment comes to an end. And we never need any other sustenance. The God-shaped hole in our heart is finally filled. So... When we leave from here, I want us to realize that we are what we eat. 
And I want you to ask this question honestly before you and God. No one else, just you and God, because that's all that really matters is you and God. That you would ask this question, are you hungry for the bread of life? And then to ask, what am I thirsty for? Am I thirsty for the Ruach HaKodesh and what he can do in bringing the life and joy of God into my life? It's really not a game. I mean, we either have the life and joy of God and are satisfying God, and if we're not, so listen, no judgment zone here. I just want you to consider those very real spiritual realities. There is either this is real and Yeshua is the bread of life and we can find sustenance for our soul in him or it's fake. And it's just religion and just words and this occupies six hours of our day once a week. But if it's real, And if he quenches a thirst and gives us joy that no trial or hardship could take from us, why aren't we going for that? I just want you to be real before God tomorrow, today. And then say, listen, all we have to do is take a slight turn to God and say, God, I need you, what you have to offer me. And let's bow our hearts. And maybe you're here in this room and you never said to God, I need you. You never confessed your sin and said, God, I have sinned and transgressed your laws. And I need forgiveness and atonement for my sin through Messiah. Maybe you never did that. And you want to do it today. Just You could just lift up your hand and we'll pray with you. You could say, yes, Rabbi, I want to do it today. Because truly, there is no more important thing in this world than our connection to God. We were created to be inseparably linked to him. And every time we disconnect, we do ourselves great damage. So how about we say we purpose in our hearts that every day I am going to connect and find him, and find true sustenance, and find true soul-quenching living water, and joy in him. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Do you know why God, I mean, it's all God. It all comes from God. You know, if you ever doubt that God loves you? Do you see the extent that he went to to give us everything we need for life and godliness so that we could live a life of joy, him knowing full well that your life isn't going to be a bed of roses? 
from start to finish. It's going to have its challenges and trials and tribulations. But he gave us of himself so that we could live through it, enjoy and experience and live a life full and complete. He did that because he loves us. Not because he dislikes us or wants to hurt us or is oblivious to our needs. No, he does it and has done it because of his great love for us. Thank you, Lord. Stretch forth your hand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you his favor. May the Lord lift up his face towards you and give you shalom. Father, I pray, God, that your sweet shalom that comes from heaven through the Messiah would permeate every life. Father, that each one, Lord, would purpose in their heart to connect with you just a little bit more this week than last week. And they would find, Lord, the source of their strength, the source of their joy and their peace. And, Lord, you would fill them to overflowing. We ask it, B'Shem Yeshua, and God's people said, Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for listening. See you next week. See you on Wednesday. Brothers and sisters.